Dr. Tom Hansen, I want to thank you so much for being on my show today to, to talk about the legacy of Ken Revisa and, and just having you share your thoughts and feelings about this great man. So I want to thank you so much for being on my show. You're very welcome, Grant. I've been looking forward to it, and uh, I appreciate your taking the time, making the effort to, to put this together. Absolutely. I know you've had a lot of experience and exposure with Ken, and you've done some really neat things together as far as writing books and affecting baseball as a whole together. But can you share with me the, the first time you met Ken? What was your first impression of him, and what was your experience like? I was a grad student at the University of Illinois in Champaign getting my master's degree, and he came in. He was late, but he was, <laughs> he was uh, because his plane was late, they had a terrible weather, and he came in. It was like a brush with death kind of turbulence as they landed and he came in and he was still he's like hey i'm still shaking let's take a few moments and let's do it some breathing and which to came to find was very much what he what he did and what he was all about which was uh dealing with adversity and centering himself doing the best that he could with what he had that day he certainly didn't have his a game that day but he was so passionate about what he was doing and he was doing something that i loved which was working with athletes that we connected there. And what I actually stayed after, I asked him a question and he gave me a little bonus time. And then thanks to my mom, whom we also lost this year, um, I wrote him a thank you note. And he then at a ask at a sports psychology conference uh, months later, I saw him and he was, you know, people crowded around him as usual. And, and this was mm, late eighties. He told me, I said, hey, Ken, I'm Tom Hanson. Oh, hey, come here. And I thought, well, geez, I hope I'm not in trouble. And he goes, I want to tell you that so many people ask me for things, but nobody writes a thank you note. And so I just wanted to thank you for that. And that's from, from that point on, we were tied. I, I ran a sports psychology conference um, in the summers at University of Virginia when I was there with Bob Rotella. And they were friends. So I would bring Ken in. We'd take long walks and smoke cigars. And then... I ended up with a sabbatical when I was at Skidmore College. I was a professor and head baseball coach, and, and uh, we were talking, and he said, hey, how about we do a book together? And that's how we came to write Heads Up Baseball. Wow. That's awesome. How, how was he as, as a collaborator when you guys wrote Heads Up Baseball? He was great. He, uh, you know, just endless source of ideas and stories, and, um, you know, he – was so passionate. Right? To me, it's his, it was his heart. I mean, ironically, that's what gave out that, that, that um, shortened his life. I think, you know, it had maybe it had to do with giving so much from his heart that, that he had done that so much that he had all these stories and examples and all the techniques that the techniques come out of the caring. It's easy to go right for, oh, there's the breathing or the routine or the whatever, focal point, whatever technique. But that really, it's where you're coming from more than the tool. And the tool, tools were created out of a caring and wanting the best for an athlete or coach. And so he, you know, and if I was saying, hey, well, what we say this to that, my, my job was to pull that in and organize it. He doesn't, he, well, he didn't think in, ter in very linear terms <laughs> because it was just, he was all in. And all in is hard to put in a book uh, because something has to come first. The book is linear, and he was not that. So I, I would say, well, could we say it this way? How about this? And I kept pulling up with models, and 
and and the process of of putting it in an order, and then I'd say, how about this? Yeah, and, and I go, okay, I need a story for this. Oh, okay, well, one time when I was, <laughs> and so he was, that's how we rolled. I wrote everything, um, but we would sit and talk for both books. We'd sit and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and then pull it together, outline, I write it, send it to him, he comments. Um, I say, well, we need something here, or he said, no, no, not this, do this. So uh, that's the way that worked. And I, and I think it worked out great. The one thing I'll say is that I'm so grateful that he had a, well, the way it turned out, it's a weird thing to say, but like five years ago, he had a heart attack and didn't die. And it was always hard to, to do Heads Up Baseball too. I was always hesitant because I had a lot of commitments and it was a lot of um, time really on my side. Um, but then he had his heart attack and I was like, okay, man, if that's the way you're going to be, let's do Heads Up Baseball 2.0. And... So we would talk back and forth, and he loved to learn. And our conversations were really educational for both of us. And so it turned into a, about a four-year process to create it. And the, what I wanted to say was that he was really happy with the book. He, one of our, as, as we did several times, but I certainly remember one of the last times we spoke that we both commented, and he in particular, how happy he is with the book that it captured a lot. We feel maybe it's too much, or maybe there's a lot there. But it's we just there's an Einstein quote at the outset that's like, "Hey, things should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler." And that's why we ended up with the book the way it is. It's like, well, we didn't want to make it an oversimplification. Hey, take a breath, look at the bat label, and say, "See, he ball, hit ball." Well, it is that, except for it also isn't that. Hmm. And so we tried to capture that, and that's why I took. It took so long, and yet I, I guess my my point is that he really liked it, and what I'm also really grateful for is as a result, we captured a lot of him on video. There's a ton of stuff that people haven't even seen that was captured um, because of the book and then we of, of coming out of it, and we have a monthly coaching program. There's a ton of stuff that we have that were used for that that, um, that had the first heart attack taken him that would have really been a huge loss um, for us all professionally. Mm. But fortunately, uh, we kind of went on a binge almost as if, in retrospect, and almost as if you knew that that was going to happen. It was sort of at, at, almost at that rate that, that we recorded things. And so I'm very grateful for that. Well, I think baseball and in the field of sports psychology is grateful too, because I think both the books you wrote are they're powerful and and like you said, they're simple. You know, do simple better. And uh, so we thank you, both of you, to, that writing these books because I think they've impacted a lot of people, whether if you are an athlete or whether if you're teaching it. So um, we're very grateful as well. When you talk, you've talked a little bit about his passion a couple times. How would you describe, if you're going to really nail down Ken's passion for this work, how would you describe it? You know, I was thinking about that before we got on this call. And oddly to me, a a phrase from another mental game coach comes to my mind because it was just a woman many, many years ago who was working. She said, oh, I'm working with the University of Texas football. Really, just didn't. It didn't line up for me at the time. And I go, well, what do you, like, what do you do with them? And she said, hmm, 
Well, I love my players. Oh, you know, that took me like, whoa, that's powerful. And that's what I would say, even though Ken never said that, I never heard him say that directly. That to me is the answer to the, my answer to the question you just asked me. He loved his players and then did, and, and coaches and did whatever that love brought him to do. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. How important do you think Ken was to Major League Baseball and, and baseball as a whole? Uh, huge. You know, he um, always had respect for Harvey Dorfman and then um, Charlie with the Angels as as forerunners. But Ken was so visible and uh, so well-known that he really helped bring it to the forefront because he, he was out there. He had a good reputation. People, he, he worked so long that so many teams ended up with people that he had worked with. And then they became coaches or they, they had their hands in these other organizations. And so he was sort of a Johnny Appleseed for the mental game in, in baseball, just throwing out seeds uh, <laughs> for years. And after, if you do throw enough seeds for decades, some of them grow into trees and then you have, uh, you know, a lot of fruit uh, right. that comes out of it. And I, I would say it wasn't like he had some well-designed plan. He just loved the people that he was with and was commit, did whatever he could to help them. I don't know. I think I'm happy with that answer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, and I, I can only imagine uh, all the hours all the days and the months that you that you hung out with Ken and worked with Ken, is there a story that you can share with us that you experienced with Ken? You know, one of my favorite moments. I mean, my it just is quite a parade. I would say of of images going through my head. I would say two. One is a walk we took by the Pacific Ocean shortly after he had, he had a heart attack and cancer in the same fall, mm. um, whatever year that was, five, six years ago. And that was a really a heart-to-heart conversation about, you know, hey, look what we've done, and we've done a lot, each done a lot since, what we get the band back together <laughs> <laughs> again and and do this. And then we agreed to do it, and, and as, I, as I kind of fleshed out before, I'm very grateful that we did. So that was really powerful. I can really picture that. And we're just out there for his celebration of life a few, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, seeing the ocean and the hills there where we walked, that was, that was really big. And second was that he did shoot some video with my son where he took, who's a 15, he's a 15 youth player and went, was in the dugout telling him what, to, you know, what, Here's just how to think in the in the dugout and in the hole on deck at the plate, and then the, in the outfield, and then he pitches so he's on the mound. So that was really cool to go from where I had no kids back when I met him as a grad student, and then for him to and I come full circle and and see him talking with my son. That really stands out for me. Awesome, great. 
in one word, how would you describe Ken as a person and as a professional? Well, loving comes to mind, but um, but also, also what jumps in is big. Hmm. It's like, like big. His, <laughs> his voice and his everything kind of about him. As much as he was a, would listen and be subtle, he was big. He'd fill up a room, and he, you know, at his, at his uh, celebration of life ceremony, people talked about his voice. You could hear his voice. Hey, <laughs> you. And um, just some phrases, and and we all agreed that you could we can still just hear his big booming voice. So I'll go with big. Beautiful, great. Well, when you first heard about Ken's passing, can you share with me what you felt? I felt disbelief. You know, when my mom passed, I was there, and when Ken passed, it. It's like you're taking someone's word for it. Not that this, not something that they're like you didn't believe them, like literally, but it was just like there's no way. And and uh, you know, I had actually come off. We'd gone on family cruise where we didn't have internet. We intentionally came came out and then pulling into port and get the internet and call up and Harry's in a coma. It's just it was just really unmooring, on um, you know. Uh, is in a, such, such a really, really weird place. And then you hang in, but I was rooting for him and thought that that uh, chances were real good. And then, you know, uh, I just, to me, what's, it's like you, uh, it comes and goes in waves of, as it did then, it was like crying. And and then, I don't know, my brain kicks into some other gear and then you get smacked back again with the reality of it. And, and I had an odd thing uh, where... Over the next two weeks, I had appointments with him hmm. that were it would that I didn't delete. I just didn't do that. I just didn't feel like deleting him, so I would forget about it. And then it pops up on my phone, a meeting with Ken in ten minutes, and then it would hit me that well, I can't he can't make it today because he's dead. That's just that's a freak show. It's it's a very difficult thing. And really placed, you know, his, thankfully he's got his phrase about having a good shitty day. Hmm. And so anytime that, that it hits me that I can't talk to him again, you know, and he's not going to make these appointments, say, well, that's shitty and let's use it and, and have the best shitty day I can. Right. Right. Or make it even just a shitty moment and uh, see if I can use it as a, springboard to to be more like him in in terms of giving and and being committed to helping people Mm, absolutely well you talked about having a good shitty day you know we i think everyone that's either followed his work or has worked with him we love the kenisms so when you think of all of his sayings and and lessons and statements which one stands out the most to you? I don't know. I I, I know. I mean, as I mean, you're talking to other people, I think one that he that others wouldn't comment on necessarily was that he really liked the chicken sandwich thing, <laughs> where he he said it's like a you know you have your plan and then you get all set and then this big sandwich and you take a bite and everything shifts and that's how he saw the mental game. You can go in feeling good or 
however you feel, one pitch and everything can shift for you. That's one that comes to mind and he uh, he was real proud of. And he also, he loved his R's. And that was one thing <laughs> with the first heads up baseball, he's got these nine R's that are in heads up baseball 2.0. And to me, it was you know, the book, hey, it's getting kind of long, but this was a tip of my hat to him because that's he created that and that's what he started with. And I, I was really was driver behind that. I thought that was too much for people in the first book. So that's how we came to self-control plan. Trust was a paring down of the R's. And um, so he loved his R's and, and I was very, very glad that put him in the, uh, in the book. So while that's not a pet phrase of him, the way you're asking, but, mm. um, but there's, there's many and other people will, will hit him. But to me, those are big. Well, before we close, is there any other thoughts or any other uh, experiences that you want to share about Ken? Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I'd say this, that when I was out there and, and my son, CJ, came out with me and to his celebration of life, we, were, we went to, uh, to his house with his, his wife, Claire, and his daughters, Monica and Nina, were there. And I was talking to a guy who was a, a husband of a relative. And he said, oh, yeah, well, the Cubs ring. He's got la, la, la. And, you know, I never even asked him if he got a Cubs World Series ring. And he never mentioned it. And so I went to, to Claire, his wife, and said, Does Ken have a, a, a World Series ring from the Cubs? Goes, she goes, yeah. Goes, Can I see it? Sure. You know, I got it and got a picture of my son on it, a Cubs fan, and and it was cool that like, my point with that is it certainly wasn't about the ring for Ken. It was, that's an outcome. It was much more about the process and very humble. And even though you could say as a mental game guy, that is winning, being the mental game guy for the Cubs when they win the World Series, that is freaking Moby Dick. <laughs> you know, that is for Mount sure. Everest. That's fine. It's getting Moby Dick on Mount Everest. Wow. <laughs> and, and, but he, it didn't change him a lick. Mm. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I cracked the curse or I broke the curse. I didn't even, I, you know, we were pretty close. And he never even said, hey, you should see this ring. I didn't even know he had it. So that, to me, is pretty representative of, of who he was. Coach, I want to thank you so much for being on my show today and, and sharing your your thoughts and your feelings about Ken Revisa and just and just sharing with me uh, his legacy and, and all the stories and experiences you've had with him. I, I really appreciate it, and I'm really excited to, to hear your thoughts. I really, really appreciate Grant having me, and it's an honor to talk about Ken. You bet. Well, I'm very interested in, in hearing your relationship. I know it goes way back, and... And there's a lot of experiences you had with with Ken. So, can you share with me the first time the first time you met with Ken? What was your first impression of him, and what was your experience? Well, it was it was ten ten years ago, and and uh, it was something where we always known you know what he was uh, his 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 magic and his uh, message over the years. 
at, at Fullerton and Long Beach State and the Angels. And, you know, you, so you knew building up, you know, what he was, his, his track record and his history. And it was just um, really a special moment for me to be able to speak with Ken and his plans, you know, with our program and his excitement toward UCLA. And it was just one of those moments that you'll always remember uh, that really changed my coaching style and code and, and changed our program really forever. So it was something that uh, still sticks with me and, and so happy that, uh, you know, we, we got, we got together. And when it comes to the mental game, how instrumental was Ken's work for you as a coach and for your program? I know you talked a little bit about just, you know, how, how valuable it was, but how instrumental was it for you? So, so, so much just, just in terms of player development, uh, personal development, uh, how you dealt and how your message was uh, sent to, to the coaching staff, to, to your team, to the players, to individual players. It was just, it changed the entire landscape of our approach and really what, uh, how we looked at the, their, their, you know, their development and how we looked at what they were going through uh, both on and off the field. So it was something that really changed our program forever. And how would you describe Ken's passion for his work? Tremendous passion. He loved young people. He loved uh, getting to know people. Uh, he loved helping people. He really enjoyed hearing their stories, their, you know, their struggles, their successes, their uh, routines, their approaches. Uh, he just wanted to mold and help. And he, he treated every individual so equally the same. And I just cherished that uh, characteristic about him. You know, he was so, uh, he treated the uh, 35th guy as, as, as well and spent as much time with him as the, you know, your number one pitcher. And, and it was just uh, something that I could just tell the passion that he had was genuine and meaningful and it was just it, it, the relationship that he built with people was just really something that I always admired and always try to emulate myself beautiful that's awesome now with your experiences and interactions with Ken is there a story at all or interaction that you can share that you had with Ken well you know, he's just just a dugout interaction. You know, just uh, his observation skills. His I'll never forget uh, in 2010. You know, in the World Series when when Garrett Cole was you know very animated and excited, and his first inning was you know not great and. Uh, South Carolina scored, I, I believe, a couple runs, and him and Garrett and myself just went downstairs at, at Rosenblatt, and you know, and he and he and, and he just treated Garrett like a golden child, really, and just set him straight and got him back on track. I mean, 
it was the, one of the bigger moments in really in college baseball that season. And, you know, you're playing for a national championship and you got Garrett Cole, who's, you know, clearly going to be a legitimate major leaguer and you got Ken and, you know, he's sorting through his breath and his routine and, you know, his uh, imagery and just calming him down basically. And it was just something that I'll always remember, um, you know, the, the wand that he had over him and, you know, the, the power that, that he, you know, installed in him uh, to get back on track was something that I'll never, ever forget. It was a special, special moment. And I'm sure Garrett would say the same thing that, you know, a legitimate major league pitcher, you know, going through the process of, of getting good in college. And, you know, it was something that I think that I'm sure will stick with Garrett the rest of his life. And, and it did with I, you know, because it was so meaningful and, and it got Garrett back on track. Wow. That's, uh, you know, the power of, uh, of mental performance right there, right? The power of the mental game. It, it really was. And, and I just became a believer, you know, even in that first year and all the stuff I was hearing from Dave Snow and George Horton and Augie Garrido and, you know, all the really legends of the game that, hey, this guy can help you. And, and uh, I just, he could help, he could help the superstar and he can help, you know, the volunteer coach and he can help the 35th guy. And he just had a special way to touch different people uh, the same way would be the best way for me to describe it. And uh, that was right there in front of me, and uh, I saw it firsthand. Awesome. Well, you know, a lot of people that have been on my show and even just outside of, of uh, people on my show, they, they talk about how special how special Ken's language was, how unique it was. And and I don't know if you're familiar with Brian Kane at all, um, who is – pretty much um, was very, very close with him. And he actually did a, it's uh, a tribute, his own tribute called KR70. And he basically wrote down 70, you know, statements or lessons that Ken talked about. And it could, you know, some of them were, you know, have a good shitty day. And so that was kind of the, the specialness that you, we got from Ken. He left us with more than just 70. There was hundreds of, of beautiful sayings, but as you worked with him, was there any sayings or, or any lessons that stood out to you? Well, the lessons were were clear. I mean, it was just you, you had to, you know, get to know yourself. You had to put yourself in, in the best possible position uh, to have success. Mm. Uh, it was it was all about approach, treating people. Uh, I, I really think his sweet spot was was college. You know, he had the ear of coaches. He had the ear of 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. That was his, I think, his his sweet spot. You know, team building, individual, personal, slash, player development. You know, the lessons just, you know, they go on and on in, in terms of just how to treat people and how to relate to people and, you know, timing of the message, like I said earlier, and the, you know, the, the relaxation and the, you know, the, the comfort that he made you feel, you know, 
people opened up. People were honest. And, you know, when people are honest, uh, you get so much more done. And I learned that from Ken. And, you know, when there's not agendas and there's not egos and there's not people wanting to personally get ahead, you know, things work better and teams play better and teams function better and, you know, they have a presence about them. So I just learned that it's so important that, you know, you get the buy-in of the player and the team and ultimately, you know, from the head coach. The head coach has to buy in. So that was, you know, one of the few, one of many, I should say, uh, things that Ken uh, really taught us. Absolutely, and I've heard a lot from other players and coaches and also other people, uh, his peers. They've said that he's the ultimate connector, and to connect with people, you have to be a really good listener, and he's been deemed as, like, the expert listener, And whether if you're 18 or, or if you're the coach is 50-plus years old. He, he just knows how to drop in and connect and listen, which I think is an incredible ability. 100%. And he taught me some of my best coaching was listening. And some of my best coaching was not saying something uh, at that particular time that might have been an emotional voice or emotional time. He taught us how to listen. And Mm -hmm. he taught us how to respond. And, um, you know, it was a trait that that still, you know, is installed in our program and, and, and certainly, you know, hopefully myself that, that I will always uh, remember how how big a tool it can be with with individuals and and with teams. So, you know, the ability to to hear people out and to rather not you know think about what you're going to say. He was a master at that, and uh, I always admired that from him. Well, when you when you first heard about Ken's passing, what did you feel? What went through your mind when you heard that? Sadness. Uh, I was I was so sad. He still had so much more time and passion and energy to give. It was really really sad. And he went he went to Minneapolis with us, you know, to the regional in June. And he was so alive and so alert and so informative i mean it was ken i mean ken was at his he was he had his a game and you know it just didn't seem it it just didn't seem real that voice and that mustache and that sweater and those (laughs) and and those and those jeans and those old adidas shoes and he had the it factor and um you know he wasn't past his prime he was sharp as attack and like I said, his sweet spot was college baseball. Mm. I mean, it really was. He really, I, I truly firmly believe that. I mean, he worked for the Angels and he worked for the Cubs and he worked for, you know, you know, several, you know, major league clubs. And, you know, he talked to the best of the best. But at the, at, at the end of the day, I really believe, and, and he tell me this, his, his most comfort was, you know, in a college clubhouse, in a college dugout. And he could be himself. And so, you know, sadness for the family and for Claire and, and such a humble, gentle, 
caring man that still today I'm still looking for that little car to pull up and, you know, come to, you know, into my office and, and give me a big hug. And uh, so it, it, it uh, you know, it still hurts. Hmm. Well, if you were to describe Ken as a person and also as a mental performance coach in one word, what would that be? Caring, caring, you know, he just cared. He, he, he cared. It wasn't fake. It wasn't, it wasn't a show. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't for a dime. It wasn't for, you know, money. It wasn't for, you know, it wasn't to show off. It wasn't to, you know, show how smart he was. It wasn't, he cared. He cared who he, he was dealing with and he cared about his his job. He cared about his his role, and he wanted to fulfill his role. He knew about roles, you know. And you know, I just, you know, one word is really hard to, <laughs> to describe him. I think caring is is a you know unbelievable trait. So many of us want. You know, I'd say almost every. Almost every person that I've had on my show, when I've asked that question, they're like, only one word? <laughs> That's a tough one because I could, it's like Brian, you know, with 70, right. 70 KR, you know, sayings and, and phrases and lessons and, you know, moments. And it's just, he touched so many people. You know, one word is, is tough. It is. Well, you, you can tell that he, he touched you. Like he did many people in many oh, man. programs. And and I want to thank you for, for just sharing your thoughts and your feelings about this great man. And um, it, it means a lot to me. I'm sure it's going to mean a lot to his family and everybody that's close to him. And I, I really thank you for, for being on my show. Well, I, I, I really appreciate it, Grant. And, and we are going to miss him. Dr. Pope Rodius, I want to thank you so much for being on my show today and, and just taking the time to talk about Ken Revisa and his legacy and sharing your thoughts and feelings about how incredible this, this man was to the field of sports psychology. So thank you for being on my show. You're welcome, Grant. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you, but obviously, you know, it's very sad and, and poignant to be having this conversation about Ken, but... Um, it's, it's good to be on your show. Awesome. Thank you. Well, we all know how special Ken is, and I love asking this question because he was so dynamic and he had great energy, and when you think about the first time you met Ken, what was your first impression, and what was your, your experience like? The first time, the very first time I met him, um, I was still... I came to this country in 2000 to live, so I've been here for 18 years, and before that I was in the UK. But when I actually met Ken for the first time, it was at a conference before I'd moved to America. So he came across to me, I think it was either, I think it was an ASP conference, um, or it might have actually been in Canada at one of the world excellence um, mental training uh, conferences. And 
he was just so dynamic and, uh, you know, a, a great presence about him. Um, what struck me straight away, which uh, people often say, is he just looks so normal in the way that he dresses. You know, um, he always wore his jeans and he always, you know, he looked very casual in a lot of ways. And um, But I, he, to me, he was just so, um, I guess I would probably call it Californian as well because of the way that he was just very dynamic and positive and warm and very very genuine and and um yeah warmth came across probably uh the most when i when i think about ken the very first time i met him very enthusiastic mm, very much very much yeah well i know you've watched him many times speak and you've also had him at the university uh, at least three or four times yeah how would you describe his passion for his work I would say, again, it, it's genuine. Um, we've had him here at John F. Kennedy University. I think we've had him here about four times over the years. And he, enthusiastic, genuine, caring, warmth, all the things that I noticed in the, in the very beginning. And that is a sign of somebody who is genuine, who they're not putting on a facade. You can catch them at any moment in time and they're still the same. And I, I think that's the way he came across. And so his passion for the the field, his passion for the subject, his passion for helping people get through and perform to the best of their abilities, I think that just came across all the time. And part of it, I think, was also that he, deep down he was a teacher, um, he was an educator, so he really loved coming and talking to students as well and, and trying to help them, you know, th help them think about things that could potentially be complicated. His way of teaching was all about making things very simple, um, and that really helps the students, and I think that's why amongst many other things about his personality. I think that's why they gravitated towards his work. Absolutely. Well, you talked a little bit uh, before we got on the show today, you talked about uh, how he inspired you. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, he, um, I think the thing for Ken, uh, for me about Ken is that he really just normalizes everything. And he was always able to make you feel like, oh, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to necessarily please everybody. I, I, you know, I don't necessarily have to do all these incredible things all the time. And it's okay to make mistakes and be human. And, you know, at the end of the day, he was always saying, you know, little phrases that, that caught on with, with people. But me especially, you know, I, w I would use a lot of his little phrases in writings that I've done. I've, I've written for uh, an archery magazine and I've quoted Ken, you know, little things like have a good shitty day. <laughs> are, the, uh, are you, you know, are you that bad that you need to be, you need to feel great all the time in order to play well? Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, when you wake up, no matter how you feel, unless you're really sick or injured, you still have to go and play. And it's the same philosophy with work too. When you wake up, you might not feel 100%, but you still have to go to work. You still have to do your thing. You still have to look after your family or whatever you need to do. And, and those are those little nuggets, those little gems are the things that inspired me. And, and also, I think, for me, it's, it was always just it's okay to be yourself. I think a lot of people tried to be 
like Ken and to, you know, to channel him a little bit too much. And I think it was, it's important that people realize that just be yourself, take away the little nuggets and the gems and be inspired by what he said, but don't try to be Ken. Mm, absolutely. There was only one, there was only one Ken Revisa. So don't try to be him. Just try to be inspired by him. But, but, my message was also that I took away is just be yourself and be be okay with being yourself and, and being normal. <laughs> right, right. Well, I would say almost every guest that's been on my show that's been a part of this this tribute, they've all talked about how important these Kenisms are. Yeah. And some of these, some of the guests have known them for 20, 30 plus years. They're like, I'm still using his work. It's just, it just, it just makes sense and it's powerful. So it's neat to hear that these Kenisms were inspiration for you and they lived through you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So definitely the, have a good, you know, have a good shitty day, be comfortable being uncomfortable was always, um, a key as well. And one thing that really sticks with me when I saw him teach, he would always read the room really well. And he would um, always use little moments of di- potential distraction to get people back. Mm. And I'm sure if you ever ta- heard him talk that you would have seen him do this. So a classic example was when somebody, somebody's cell phone went off in the room, and that would typically distract some speakers. But he would use it as a teachable moment to bring people back. And so using those moments, I think that's a sign of a great teacher and a great educator to be able to use moments as teachable moments and not just as potential distractions or annoyances. So that I think that was also a sign of what he was great at. But, yeah, definitely, I I still use his little nuggets to this day. Right. Absolutely. Well, how important was Ken's work to the field of sports psychology? It was incredibly important because he was... I think he was the first person to look at flow and peak performance in sport. So um, in the the 70s when he produced his doctoral dissertation, and then I used his work for some of my own doctoral work, and I think he was one of those people who was inspired to change the field as well, and he was one of the integral people at the very beginning, you know, Um, who was setting the stage. And I think he had a PE background or a kinesiology background, so he's definitely coming from that aspect, um, not necessarily clinical psychology. And so he was one of the first to, to, to throw it out there about peak performances. And it's interesting when you hear him later, many years later, talking about his, his doctoral dissertation, and he was, um, he was saying, you know, it's not all about having peak experiences because you can't really get there very quickly. It's about performing to your best of your abilities when you don't feel good. When you feel good, it's easy. But when you don't feel good or you don't feel 100%, that's when you need to be able to turn it on and make a difference and still be able to play to a high level. And that's what makes a difference, I think, with somebody who, you know, to be a champion. You know, his dissertation is sat on my lap because... For some reason, I don't even remember why, I have a copy of it. And <laughs> the, la- the last time, I have a hard copy of it, and it looks really old. I think it was taken from a microfiche, 
long time ago. Many people won't even know what that is. <laughs> and he, when he was here most recently at JFK, uh, it just in February, we had him here for the whole day, and he gave a, a full day's workshop for our students and alum. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to get him, see if he'll sign his own dissertation. So he signed it for me. And um, so let me read the, what he signed on the very front page. It says, Allison, keep it one thing at a time as you work with your students. It is a pleasure working with you and your students. Keep up the great work, Ken Revisa. Mm. And that's on the front of his own dissertation. And, um, you know, really, it, it kind of it sums it up his warmth, humility, enthusiasm. And again, a little nugget. The very first thing he said was keep it one thing at a time. <laughs> right. So even as he's just writing something, in a book or, uh, you know, anywhere, he's still giving you a little nugget. How great is that? I know. That's so great. I know. Yeah. Well, when you heard that of Ken's passing, what, yeah. what did you feel at that moment? Very much surprised. You know, I'd, I'd actually just spoken to him um, the week before. So he called me up and you know, he was always, again, so enthusiastic, and, ah, let's say, you know, really <laughs> loud and, you know, always sounds like he's he's actually pleased to talk to you. And we were talking about him coming again to do another workshop next year, and we were making plans. And, and so to hear of his passing so suddenly just a week later was very shocking and, and, and very sad. And, it, you know, it takes you a while to digest. I like, really, is that, you know, is that what's happening? And I heard about it through Twitter, through one of our alums. So, you know, it's amazing all the things that you hear on social media. And at first I just didn't, almost didn't believe it was true and then heard it from more sources and just a, 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 an incredible feeling of loss from a, from a prof professional perspective and you know, I didn't know him super well as a, a friend necessarily. We didn't hang out, but I definitely, I, I spent many hours with him as a colleague and I enjoyed his company greatly. I, you know, I wish we'd have hung out more and gone to more dinners and, you know, had a few, have a few beers down the pub. And yeah, so I, I think it was a, just a feeling of loss. And for, also for the students, I knew that a lot of them would take it pretty um hard as well they just met him they're very inspired by him uh and some of the alum too so i felt it as a almost a responsibility as well and i was on vacation when it happened but i instantly you know wrote something to our students and alum and 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 told them what had happened and what we'd heard and we were sending a, a tribute from jfk so this is this is perfect that you're doing this as your alum yourself of JFK. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a big loss for our field, that's for sure. Mm -hmm.